You might have noticed that talking about feelings like joy, hope, gratitude, or even love is usually an easy thing to do. While having a drink somewhere, on the phone with a friend, at a family dinner, it comes quite naturally, it's pleasant. But when it comes to pain, vulnerability, or distress, um, it's always a bit more of a challenge. Those negative emotions, and I'm doing the air quote sign right now, I mean, we feel them as much as the positive ones, and they are totally natural and normal at some point in our lives. But try to bring the conversation about that with your friends on a Friday night after work, and you'll see the kind of reaction you'll get. I mean, it's pretty straightforward. No one wants to talk about it. You can even sometimes see the terror in your friend's eyes that this might be contagious. But this fascinates me because we all go through those periods, all of us, no exceptions. We are not always happy and content. We do feel sad, upset, or useless sometimes. But for some reason, there is a, a fear, a sense of shame when it comes to sharing painful experiences or painful feelings, especially in our society that pushes us to be a winner, you know, tough, unbreakable, successful. Most of the time, emotions are considered as weaknesses. Well, I think it's bullshit. I am a bit sick of this so-called toughness, to be honest. It really doesn't get us anywhere. This podcast tells stories of breakups and heartbreaks. It brings back painful memories and not-so-pleasant feelings, but there is a lot to learn from those experiences. I believe breakups especially are pivotal moments in our lives that we can all relate to. They shape and define us in ways we don't always fully comprehend. They force us to mutate. What we do with those experiences determines how we transform our lives, how we reinvent ourselves. Actually, sharing those stories help us connect with each other, learn from each other. It reminds us how resilient we are as human beings. If we don't always succeed, well, we usually all try our very best, and especially when it comes to love. For this first episode, we meet Sarah. She's 27, lives in Edinburgh, and tells the story of one of her first relationships with Stephen when she was 23 years old. I'm not going to lie, I know Sarah. She's a friend of mine, and she was the first person to accept talking about her most painful breakup. The story was four or five years ago, and as you will discover, it's quite an unusual situation. It's a beautiful story of acceptance, and it illustrates once again how love can be experienced in different ways. When I met uh, Stephen, I was just finished university, sort of in a job that allowed me to socialise and do the things that I was looking forward to doing after after getting my degree. Um, I think I was quite vulnerable, having just come out of a long-term and long-distance relationship. He wasn't the type of person that I usually came across, you know, he was quite reserved and a bit more artistic and not totally in your face and I think I find that quite refreshing and he was able to have a sort of good conversation and uh, yeah I think then I ended up kissing him because I decided that's what I wanted to do. I think he fed me a chocolate strawberry and at that point I was like oh yeah this is definitely probably going to happen if I go for it. I'm not good at setting myself up for rejection so it was quite well calculated. 
the moment I think I realised I was in love with him was at my birthday. So it must have been my, I think it was my 24th birthday. He didn't usually give very many compliments. Not that he wasn't ever appreciative, you, you know, he always was, but it wasn't very sort of verbal or, or sort of outward with that kind of thing. And uh, yeah, he said, I look like a, a movie star. And he, just the way he looked at me and I was like, you know, he, when somebody has so much respect for you and, you know, generally appreciates you in every in every aspect and you can tell they're, they're proud of you and, and that kind of thing, I think that was the moment for me that I was, you know, it was more than just kind of someone I was going out with. So, yeah, I think that when I realised I loved him, um, it wasn't really a surprise. I think it was more a case of me letting myself admit it to myself rather than, you know, sort of... It's sort of a self-protection mechanism. One example that always sticks with me is for my birthday... He uh, did me a treasure hunt around the house um, with different clues that led to different places. Um, and I love reading uh, a lot. And I've not, I hadn't read The Great Gatsby, so he got me that. Um, some vegetarian Percy pigs, just lots of little presents that were so thoughtful that I'd never, you know, boys are not generally always very good at that kind of thing. Um, just because they panic and don't quite know what to get, but just the fact that he thought so much about it, um, and and a little perfume that that was like my favourite one that I, you know, I don't, I never sort of talk about that kind of thing very often. So it showed a lot of thought, um, and yeah, I guess we spent the the whole weekend together, and we went and had a picnic and um, up Arthur's seat, and it was just. A lot of the times that I remember with him was just being completely content, just being the two of us and not needing to have anybody else or, or you know, not even spending time on your phone or anything like that, just, just talking to each other and, and hanging out. We also had um, a list of, like, funny phrases that we would sort of, if one of us came out with, we would write them down and uh, sort of remember them so one birthday I got him a book that we just write these I can't even remember any off the top of my head but um just some of those ridiculous things that you come out with and and we used to do a lot of that and just be silly and kind of laugh I was I was fully confident that it was um forever Afterwards, it's it's a a different kind of story. To be honest, I didn't see the breakup coming at all. The fact that we'd planned to go on holiday and that in in so many ways nothing had changed. You know, he hadn't changed in any way. There was a definitely a breaking point in our relationship, and it wasn't it wasn't my doing. We were on holiday with seven of our other friends from work, and um, we were having a great time. We did have an argument. Again, they were very rare. One evening, um, I think we'd all been drinking quite a lot. And um, I can't even remember what it was about. I, I said something about him being immature and and walked off. And later on, I, I just, you know, I realised, I you know, it was just a silly... Again, I, can't, I really can't remember what it was about, but it was a silly argument. 
probably about semantics. I was just trying to be, you know, really sort of nice and and said, look, I'm really sorry. And uh, he kind of became really quiet. And I don't remember how I knew, but I I just kind of knew that was what he was about to do. And it was three o'clock in the morning in Malaga or somewhere ridiculous in Spain. And seven of our friends, you know, were all out together. And I was just like, he said he wanted to go to, to sit and talk on the beach. And that was like, I, I can't remember him saying anything else. I was just like, you can't be serious. So clearly quite sort of fueled by alcohol, I sort of burst into tears and ran off. But I knew, like I just knew that was it and it was over. It was three in the morning. He he ended up coming back up to, to, the, to the two villas that we were staying in. And... He just he was he was so upset and he was crying, but he wouldn't say anything really about why. And he just said that you know we're at different maybe different stages of our life. That's one of the things I remember, and that you know he's maybe not not ready for that. Um, and I remember just being so angry because I was like, why you, you know why here and now, and you're not giving me a real explanation. And I felt a bit like, you know, we've had one small argument earlier, which we never have arguments. If that's, like, is it, does it really only take that? Um, and so we spent the next two days uh, at the beach, as you do on holiday, which was quite surreal being in the same group of people. And, you know, everybody knows you've just broken up and you know you have and you're not quite sure why. It was, it was pretty horrible. But as I say, we spent the next couple of days just in the group and didn't really talk about it. But before we got the plane home, uh, we checked out and spent a couple of hours by the pool. And he asked to speak to me. And we walked up the road. And I'll always remember, I was like looking at my flip-flops and he just came out and said he'd always been confused about his sexuality. And I think at that moment, I I went into like shock and I didn't want to... I'd never seen him so upset and he just cried in in a totally non-attention-seeking way. But I was the only person at that point he'd ever told. He was incredibly brave and also quite selfless, as well as a bit selfish, in, in being honest and being honest himself, allowing me to then move on um, with my life rather than being stuck with somebody who actually, as much as they want to be with you, can't really until they they know who they are themselves. We ended up sitting together on the plane home and I held his hand and his mum, he told his mum that we'd um, broken up. And she sent this text to us both saying, um, you know, you're on holiday together, you're tired, you've had too much, you'll have had too much to drink, you'll not be eating properly, like, just put it behind you. And, like, I just, I just started crying because I knew, like, I knew that that wasn't what, what should happen. When we got back, it was, like, two in the morning. I mean, I went home after, after the airport and just sort of told my parents and just, I was quite inconsolable, but I think it was also that I was so sad for him. And the day before I had to go back to work, he phoned and said that he wanted to see me. And we met up at, at my house and he said that um, his mum had said it's not about someone's gender, it's about who you love. 
And uh, by this point, he told his parents. And uh, so he said he wanted to give it another go. And I said that it didn't matter to me at all whether he fancied men and women, but I needed to know that he didn't need to try. Made some comparison with, you know, if I'd not slept with a certain type of ethnicity, then, you know, would he say I had to before I was sure? And he was like, when you're in that emotional state, you kind of think, okay, if you're okay with it. And then the next morning he was like, no, I'm not, I'm not so sure. And I had to go into work to my not so great at the time job. <laughs> when he told me the reason that, that he wanted, or he'd broken up with me and he didn't want us to, to be together, I think my initial response was relief in a way because it, it confirmed that there was nothing that I'd done or that I'd missed something fundamental in our relationship. Well, I mean, huh. you know, in terms of our interaction together. And I I think it was that, I think I also tried to, I mean, they say a breakup is kind of like a death in terms of grief. It's, it carries out in a similar way. It's sort of denial, anger. Um, I couldn't be angry at him and I didn't, if anything, I just felt so sad and and I think I almost wished there w- I could be angry because anger can help a lot in terms of just taking your mind off it and and having somewhere to channel those feelings. Whereas feeling sad is just a really it's not a nice sort of state to be in. I think it it was more I. It took a lot for him to do that because there are so many people who go on to get married, to have kids, and he did me the courtesy and, you know, a huge favour by being so brave and coming out and and also for telling me why in the first place. Um, So I think my insecurities were more that I hadn't cottoned on sooner. But as I say, it wasn't like there was a problem with our sex life or anything like that. It wasn't that I was looking back and thinking oh, you know, I should have realised in that respect. Directly after the breakup, or the first thing I remember consciously doing, apart from crying a lot and uh, and moving home for a few days to, to cry in front of my parents a lot, um, was I was currently living with a boy called Jack, who I'd known since I was very young. We were looking to get somewhere new. And I remember meeting up with this girl, Melissa, who I previously worked with, who was also going through a breakup. Um, we got very drunk and decided that it'd be a good idea if we all lived together. She was living with her boyfriend at the time and um, and as I say, they, they'd literally broken up, I think, the day before we met. I remember thinking, you know, new flat, new start. Um, and not long afterwards, we moved into this amazing, really big, bright, airy flat with a balcony. And I started going out lots. And I think I made a conscious effort to do that as well. Um, Socialised. I mean, again, lots of my friends were friends with with Stephen. And so, yeah, it was moving flat, getting a new friend who's who's now a very close friend. And I think it helped to have somebody to go through a breakup with, you know. Um, other people can get very bored with you going on about how sad you are and playing irrelevant videos on YouTube and, you know, sobbing. Um, or getting angry, so it was quite nice to have somebody who you could put up with their nonsense 
while they put up with yours, it was it was good. It didn't help that they that she was also getting on with my other flatmate, but um, it was helpful because you realise that it happens to other people. But I, I think actually, I after the breakup, I I relished being on my own and independent. I think I was still in mourning for what we'd had, and part of me was still hoping that maybe in the future we could be together. Um, but I also think at the same time I knew it was over and I was just wanting to find myself again. I'm a hugely over-analytical person anyway, so um, I was constantly bringing up issues that I had with the situation looking at it from his perspective, my perspective, um, and just trying to work out what things meant. And that analytical side of my brain was fighting against the emotional side that wanted to find some proof that it was circumstantial, that it was a temporary thing, that in the future he would realise that we were meant to be together and that if he was bisexual, that, you know, he's... You know, I, funnily enough, I didn't think I would get jealous if he was with a guy, in in the same way I would if if it was another girl. It was weird. Um, so there was a lot of overanalyzing, and I would go from one minute. I mean, I remember watching a, a video by Macklemore called "Same Love," which was in promotion of like gay marriage, and I just it's all about yeah, same sex marriage, and there's this young couple and clearly want to be together but they're trying to pretend to be straight and etc and I just like I couldn't I, I just felt so like sort of touched and sort of started crying and I remember sending Steve in the video and just saying like I saw this and it just made me like you know I just hope that one day you find that and I think in those moments of clarity I knew that I think he wanted to be with a guy and that that's, you know, that this was an exact representation of exactly the situation we'd gone through. But then it was also easier to say to myself, no, he says he's bisexual, therefore he did fancy me. It, was, it wasn't it was just a, a an attempt to to quash those feelings or to, to make his life normal in a way that he was so scared it wasn't ever going to be. So, yeah, I, I went through lots of different different emotions but I think deep down at times other parts of me would say there is the possibility if he is bisexual and he does realise that he loves you that this could all work out in the future. I came to terms with the fact that I thought the the conflict between thinking that you know he needs to go out and and find a a man um, and the fact that if he fancied both men and women that there was a possibility for us in the future by the very occasional contact that we did have what I got from his responses to you know occasionally messaging to see how he was was he was quite closed off the fact that he was more cold or closed off than I was um, coupled with the fact that I couldn't be angry at him at all and and in a way I knew that me wanting to support him and be there for him was just wanting to be with him um, I think that really helped me in in getting over it, and I think also putting myself into my work as cliched as it sounds, and also going out a lot um, 
helped numb the sort of it's just not thinking about it and if you can manage to not think about it um it helps I, reading I always I read a lot anyway but I can't watch television and block things out it always it goes around my head but if I read a book I, I don't have space to think about something else so it was drinking and and <laughs> literature blocking out thinking about the situation helped because I knew there was nothing I could do it wasn't because of me that we'd broken up. It, it there, I hadn't done anything that I should feel sorry for. He hadn't done anything he should feel sorry for. So blocking out seemed the best mechanism because I just had to not think about him and not think about how it was when we were together and not hope that we were going to be together in the future because that was unrealistic. I think it took me a good sort of, I'd say six months to get to get over the breakup. I think I thought I was okay. I do think there, I, I think there was a pivotal moment that I kind of realised that I was okay again. I think it was coming getting ready one night actually at the flat with with Melissa before we went out I think we were going out with Jack as well and some of his friends and and I just thought I'm actually I'm really looking forward to tonight and I'm really looking forward to just see like not not maybe meeting somebody but just seeing what's out there and like just having fun and talking to people and actually I'm not doing it to forget I'm doing it because I'm actually excited. And I remember saying to Melissa, like, I think I've just had a, a turning point. Um, there was, you know, it was nothing. I think we just had one of our favourite songs on, blaring it out across the balcony while smoking cigarettes and drinking Prosecco, which we did a lot at the time. Thank goodness Prosecco's only like six pounds. Um, and, and yeah, it was just that realisation of I'm going out to do this not because I'm scared that otherwise I'm going to be sat on the sofa thinking about it the whole time but because I actually want to go it's going to be fun and yeah I think the word shame actually has quite a lot of pertinence with with my breakup but it was it was very much from from Stephen's perspective rather than than from mine. No, nobody should be ashamed of what sexuality they are. We all acknowledge that in this country. You know, I, I, I would struggle to find anybody who would soberly and, and, and directly say, I think that, that, that um, you should be ashamed of being gay. But that doesn't translate into social rhetoric, into the jokes, into the just the general like way that we we do sometimes in certain groups do view view that um i didn't feel any shame i think i think i maybe the only thing later on was felt ashamed that i hadn't maybe put a stop to it myself sooner that i was so i so needed to think that he loved me as well that i didn't stand up for myself and say you need more from this it showed me how I am capable of kidding myself that things are okay when I deep down know they're not and it made me realise I need to listen to my gut instinct um, and it's there for a reason. It made me sort of confident in myself as a person in that I 
would always have hoped I would have dealt like with a situation like that the way I did and I'm proud of myself for dealing with it the way I did or I'm I'm proud that the the way that my ideology translated into my actions and I think it also showed me that I do maybe have a propensity for I need some security somewhere in my life to feel like something's going that I've got complete control um or not control, but just a sort of safety net. I'm capable of falling into that trap of wanting there to be something there while I'm going through different stages of other parts of my life. Um, And I think I've tried, maybe unconsciously since then, I've been a lot more independent and I make sure that I have my own things going on, you know, and that my relationship is a relationship, not a sort of comfort blanket, that is something that you need to, and both people should want to invest in. To bounce back after something like that or to or to to get through it, firstly, if you're overly analytical anyway, I think you naturally doubt everything that you feel or rationalise. Um, but I also think that, again, it didn't take me very long to look back from a distance and see the things that were missing. After the breakup, after Stephen, I only had I, the relationship that I'm currently in. And that um, was started on a dating website um, where we matched on Tinder. And uh, I spoke to him for four months and mainly about work stuff because he had a, a local bar. I met up with him four months later. And as I say, I'd gone on quite a few dates. Um, and I think what I'd realised was that I wasn't going to settle. I wasn't just going to to enjoy parts of somebody's company it needed to be be something uh, quite special and and I think that's what I found but I think I was also very by that point very job focused and I was quite conscious of of making that being my priority so I I literally would go on one date sort of a week I think I cancelled on him quite a few times he thinks it was food poisoning but it, it was just I I didn't I, I was consciously I think because I knew I liked him holding myself back and just making sure that I wasn't going for a rebound and looking for somebody to to sort of take my mind off anything. And, and as I say, I don't think I was. So my experience of, of that breakup definitely did impact um, how I viewed or, or started my next relationship. But at the same time, as I say, it was for such an abstract reason that, not abstract, but such a different reason that we'd broken up I think I'd had time by the point that I met my my current boyfriend to to process that and as I say there wasn't any of the the character slurs or the or the slagging off like I I I didn't there was nothing there that I was worried that I was going to do in the next relationship that I'd done badly in the previous one I think I was just more hyper aware that I needed I needed to be sure of the other person's their their true feelings, um, and I think that that with Sam that that um, I think that that worked because he you know I was under no illusions and he was forward about how he felt and he was very complimentary and I think that um, yeah that it took time but that's what I needed and I also needed to make sure that it was on my terms and that I was not compromising anything for that that it fitted into my my sort of life that existed at the time. 
the lasting sort of lesson that I've learned or, or what I've got from this experience, the, what, the hardest thing for me was knowing that there was nothing I could do to change the fact that, uh, that somebody didn't love me. And the idea that I could believe that that was the case for so long when it wasn't, I think that, for me, it's, it's realising that words aren't everything that you need, that you should know how somebody feels. And if you have any doubt about that, then there's no point in wasting any time and it's nobody's fault. It was the first time somebody would broken up with me um, and I had no control over it at all. And, and that was a hard thing to deal with, but also something that I think has made me a lot stronger. Um, I think with many relationships, you almost start hating yourself because of how that person makes you feel and the dynamic you have. And I think that self-hatred is as damaging, if not more so, than the hatred that comes from the other person. And I think that's why it takes a lot of people a long time to get over breakups. And and I think that's that was completely lacking from this breakup. So for me, in a way, that's maybe why it's the most important one, because it, it allowed me to feel sad and it allowed me to mourn something without feeling like I could have done anything differently. One thing that really moves me in her story is the part where she understands she needs to be coherent in harmony with her core values. She then stood back and let her boyfriend go his own way. Even very much in love with him, she selflessly gave him the space he needed. That is really something she should be proud of, something she can build on. It was tough for both of them, but she did what seemed to be the right thing for her at the time. It's a beautiful story. Sarah is very happy right now. She is still with her current boyfriend of two years, and they are moving in together. This is the end of the first episode of The Breaking Point. Please visit thebreakingpointpodcast.com for new episodes, or if you would like to share your story, Follow us on Twitter and Facebook at The Breaking Point Podcast.